Welcome to the new Dalcrozia and the world's first podcast discussing the work of Emile Jacques Dalcroz as practiced in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Molinero. And I'm Lauren Hudson. On today's episode, we have an epic conversation with Michael Joviala. You have to stick around to hear that. Please email us at thenewdalcrozian at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. And please, pretty please with sugar on top, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. Do it right now. Five stars. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Oh, the winter weather. It's kind of killing my uh, uh, health right now. I've got, uh, you can probably hear in my voice, a little raspier than usual. Yeah, there's a lot of people around with germs right now. I don't know about in your neck of the woods, but for sure in mine. Absolutely. I was remarking the other day as I was standing in front of my class, it was a chorus of coughs from oh one side of the room to the other. Cough, 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 cough. And I, I looked around and said, are you serious right now? Dude, I knew I was yeah. going to get sick. I, I just knew it. And here I am. I, I'm, uh, I'm, well, I'm probably 80%, but my voice is still not quite recovered. Oh, uh, well, I hope you are feeling back to your usual self soon. So I had a question for you based on kind of this time of year. Kids are, yes, they're sick, but they're also a little bit, they're rowdy. Things are yeah. happening. They're about to, we're getting ready for the, the holiday break, the winter break. Mm -hmm. And I wondered what happens for you when you sit down and you feel like you just can't like get grounded to write mm -hmm. your plan, to figure out what are you teaching? How are you going to teach it? Do sure. you have any strategies for yourself as you as you kind of approach planning the week or the day or, or the hour? Well, this is a tricky, this is a tricky thing you're getting into because uh, yeah. I don't know that I plan the same way that, uh, yeah, that, yeah. that we consider lesson planning a after right. being in this for so long, so many years in the same position, uh, I've developed sort of a feel for it that I don't really sit down at the beginning of the week and think, on, think on my plan like that. Um, mm, mm. I, I really don't. I just, I sort of know what the next step is always because I've had it built out so much that I and sort do you, of, do you write this down somewhere? How do you no. keep track of it? No, it's just, no. it's just all up there. I just huh? have a feel for what I'm doing next. Like, okay. So that we did that for whatever. So for, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but I don't really mm. sit down at the beginning of the week and write out my lessons like that. I really just don't. Sure. Sure, know, sure, sure. I, I just don't, That's I fair. just don't. It, it's, it, it's, uh, I'll say, maybe I'll say, I'll be driving to work and I'll say, ah, you know, this week it feels like this would be the right thing to do. And then they, 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 the students uh, come down and I try that and we'll see. Maybe I might change my mind in the middle of, of a different activity and say, oh, you know what we should do next is this. And so, so a lot of that happens in the moment. So it's hard for me to, 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 to share lesson planning sort of things. But um, no, I mean, I, I envy you in some ways, Anthony, that you are able to teach so many classes with the same yes. approach. You know, for me, I have a lot of planning and I have five kids classes I teach mm -hmm. currently, right? Five classes a week, which is great. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to teach those classes, but it's different planning for teaching one lesson of those things versus teaching it 11 times or 20 times before you move on to something else. Yeah. I think that's really special. I envy that. Um, so I'm like, 
a, a big fan of stand-up comedy. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I'm very interested in hearing about the process of the stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've, I've, it's a hobby of mine. I actually tried stand-up comedy before and I was not great, but I, uh, I, I'm very interested in what that process looks like. And, and, and the way I understand it in general, what a comedian will do is they will get up on stage with a, an idea, a premise, yeah. and they will just work on it. They'll, they'll just riff on it. They'll, yeah. they'll start. And then they, they go up maybe three times a night, you know, in different clubs or in one club with several different audiences, and they'll just keep honing that bit. I know mm. there's something here. I know there's an exciting thing here. And mm. they'll just do it over and over again over, you know, some number of months until they've really figured out the wording just right and they figured out the order of how to do it and then they'll then they have an act. Yeah. And I that really resonates with me in, in my process is I've got an idea. Oh, it would be really cool to do something with um, you know, I de- like said like I said I have this thing I did with jingle bells. Sure. Not the song, the actual jingle bells. Oh, oh, oh. the material. Yeah. The, yeah, ma- yeah. the material the item jingle bells. I, I've got this, this idea, man, it would be really interesting. And, and the premise for me, what for the jingle bells was like, I wanted to see what would be interesting to see if they could actually move the jingle bells without making a sound because hmm. that requires a certain amount of body control and thoughtfulness. And so we would do these activities where they were to pass the jingle bells around the room with no sound. And that's the only idea I had. I said, that's a really cool idea. And and they absolutely love it. Right. And (laughs) they're so excited. And if they hear a little jingle, they say, oh, you jingle. You jingled. And and they go back. And and they're they're working on this passing the jingle bells game. And and because I can do it and I can do it. Actually, I do it uh, seven times a day with different grade levels over a week. So that's 35 times a week plus wow. my Saturday classes too. So that's 39 times a week. Wow. Yeah. I can do the same activity. And by wow. the end, I, I figured out so many different directions it can go. It's like, you're not even, you're just like autopilot. You're like, I, this will work. I know this will work. It, right? I have t- yeah. so much confidence with what I'm doing. And then I can experiment <laughs> a little bit too. And I can say, what if we tried it this way? And we stood in a yes. line and passed it along the line from one yes. person to the other, you know, with different formations. What if we did it with musical accompaniment in different ways? And then I, and then I'm starting to incorporate that into the Laban uh, effort actions. What, what, what effort action are we using here? Is it a, it's a glide to sort of mm, move mm. it across. I don't know. It, it's, it's the, the kind of thing where, because I do have the opportunity to do it a million times, I can hone it. Mm. And, and that's a huge, a huge uh, advantage for my lesson planning. What I hear you saying as well is that you are maybe a different type of visualizer than me. Like I feel like I need to write things out and map them and see them visually. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I come up with good ideas like when I'm walking the dog or taking a shower, things like that. But I think we all have different ways of thinking about what we want our students to be able to do and how we want them to be able to do them. Mm-hmm. And that diversity is really cool. Like I, I learned a lot from you just now thinking about how could I be more free and open and learn through the process and know what I'm teaching kind of through yeah. the process of doing it. And maybe if I taught 39 classes a week, that would yeah. you know be a difference. But that's a huge, that's yeah. the huge advantage, the difference between the way sure. I do it and other people. Some people get one shot. You know, yeah. This yeah, is yeah, my, yeah. This is my lesson like, this well, week. That was it. Yeah. Right, I did that. 
And, yeah. and I, I, I can, I turn right around after I finished it once I turn right around and do it again. Right. And, uh, I've got, you know, a, a whole different, a whole different perspective on it. And maybe the lesson, and I'll get so excited and animated during the lesson. It's so invigorating to me when I feel, when I feel like I've gotten, oh, that was so cool. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's so exciting for me. That's really what, what I sort of live for in my, in my lessons is that mm. realization, mm. the epiphany, the epiphany, the aha moment. Oh, the aha moment. I love that. That's absolutely right. Anthony, National Conference, it's coming up in January. We're getting pretty excited about it, aren't you? I'm thrilled. I I keep hearing from my Dalcros friends and our Dalcros community, and and the more people are saying they're they're coming, the more excited I get. Everyone's making their housing arrangements. We're all uh, talking about uh, the various sessions that are going to be presented, and and, uh, just so thrilled. Oh, for sure. Well, one of the things that I'm pretty excited about is that we will have a bookstore at the conference. No. And this book, yes, really. This bookstore is Music Innovations. And um, Music Innovations is coming from, I believe, Pennsylvania. That's right. And Did you know yeah. that my first Dalcros classes were at Music Innovations? Uh-uh. Uh, yes, when I was uh, uh, I was five or six years old, uh, I took uh, Eurythmics classes at Music Innovations. So I have a long history, wow. and I took instrumental lessons there as well um, growing up you know, all through Aww. high school. Well, I, I, that's, that's really cool, Anthony. I, I know that they don't have a physical store any longer, yeah, but sad. they do have an online store at musicinnovations.org, and they will be coming to the conference and have a selection of Dalcro's materials and musical gifts, and the opportunity to be able to look over these materials in person and select them and take them home, it's such a big deal. So yeah. I want to make sure to to tell our listeners that Music Innovations will be there. And also, if you're interested in ordering some items ahead, they can bring them to the conference to save on shipping. So make sure you check out musicinnovations.org, both online and in person at the conference. I love going through that bookstore. I always always end up with a few uh, a few purchases uh, I wanted to, I, I received in my email, Lauren, the program for the national conference. And as I was browsing it, I was so excited to hear detailed explanations of the sessions. And just on the very first day, Saturday morning, yeah. uh, the, uh, the first group of sessions, I, I just can't decide which one I'm going to go to. It, they're, they're all, they're all amazing. I'm just going to, read a little bit about these sessions. So the 9 a.m. Saturday morning, January 14th, you've got Ruth Alperson, who's one of my favorite teachers, period, of all time. Her session is called Moving in Beauty, Moving with Music of Johannes Brahms. We will explore Dalcro's subjects, including phrase, measure, shape, and hemiola. We will delve into the rich melodic and harmonic landscape of the Andante movement of the Brahms double concerto for violin and cello, opus 102, together. And if Ruth is doing that. I guarantee you that'll be worth your time. Then at the same time, Jeremy Didis, friend of the show, 
your friend and mine, exploring minor tonalities, take a walk on the dark side. Ooh, I'm in, mm. I'm in right there. The embodiment of pitch throughout Dalcro Solfege gives us purposeful ways of understanding and communicating the distinct color palettes within minor tonalities. In this session, we will play the different forms of minor scales and explore some of the unique melodic harmonic attributes within these structures. We will also survey folk and instrumental repertoire for various age groups and levels of study that showcase the warm, dark tones of the minor mode. Oof, I'm in. Mm. And then at the very same time, in a third room, there's a session led by Fumi Nakayama on time, space, and energy and piano technique and improvisations. The session is about um, expressive piano improvisation. She says, join us in exploring whole body movement and tactile exercises that will improve both piano technique and improvisation skills. Together, we will improvise based on different images and generate simple but effective improvisation ideas. Participants will be invited to share a short piece from their repertoire to compare playing in the old and the new way. Oh, that's great. Yeah, the, the piano sessions are always so interesting to me. And I just want to impart to our uh, listeners that this is a great place and a very safe place to start exploring your piano improvisation uh, prowess. There's many sessions that will be very accessible to the less experienced pianist. Uh, I think that people are intimidated oftentimes by the piano component of this work, but this Definitely. is going to be very accessible for everybody. Yeah. And at the same time, for those listeners who have done some training or have a lot of training, I always walk away inspired by the different ways that I hear people leading classes and playing. And I, I just want to be able to like take those home and, and mm. right away start to play, play the way I hear. I think that's the number one thing that I take away from these sort of oh, yeah? events is I notice it right away that my piano playing you know, improves or at least becomes more. I'm more excited yeah. about it. I think that the totally. piano piece of it is. Uh, refreshed great. and, and re-inspired, yes, reinvigorated, reinvigorated. Yeah. I love that. Well, listeners, if you hear us talking about the conference and you want to find more information or register and come join us, you can find information at dalcrosusa.org forward slash conference. The regular registration rate is open until December 26, 2022. Uh, we'll have on-site and walk-in registration after that, but you'll get a better rate if you register before that date. So we hope to see you there. So Lauren, I really enjoyed our conversation with Michael Joviala. Uh, Michael is a great Dalcrosian. So when you listen to this interview, you're going to hear what a uh, really thoughtful and interesting and insightful person he is. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know him, he's a practitioner in the uh, uh, New York area. Uh, he is the chair of the Professional Development Committee of the Dalcros Society of America. He also holds the Diplôme Superior. Uh, and I believe is the most recent American diplomat. That's right. Uh, that's right. And uh, and I know that you get to work with, you have the opportunity to work with him uh, in the summers. I do. Yeah. So we both serve as uh, faculty members at the Dalcro School of the Rockies. And I had the chance to observe him teaching the licensed students this summer. 
And he shared this piece that he had written when he um, did this lesson on metric transformation. So when we think about, for example, repertoire that uses um, changing meters but goes from maybe compound meter to simple meter, or when we think about division equals division or beat equals beat, and it's such a cool piece, and I, I commend him for writing this amazing piece. So thanks for sharing it, Michael. So I'm going to go ahead and throw the rest of this piece at the end of the podcast. So if you are uh, interested in hearing the rest of it, uh, just stick around after the interview and we'll play the rest of this piece. Michael Joviala, who uh, has appeared on the podcast previously. Michael, what's your memory of your first uh, hmm. appearance on the podcast? I believe I played. You asked me to play a little thing, a little something, a little tidbit. Um, that is my memory. But I, yeah. I, am, I am a longtime fan, longtime listener. I have never missed an episode. And I am always super happy. Fan. Yeah, I'm a super fan. And I'm always happy when I see that you've dropped an episode because then uh, it's easier for me to get out and do my run. Yeah. Mm, yeah, you've told us that before. <laughs> Go for a run so, with us. Yeah, no, listen to myself. I'm, I'm running right now. You're doing really well, Michael. Keep running. Uh, oh, was, we should throw in some of those. That was for future, yeah, future Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and Michael, I think um, a lot of people have said, and I know they specifically speak about the episode that you were on, too, about how they enjoy being able to have a Dalkra's activity at home just randomly because they're listening, and all of a sudden you're leading them in this activity. Hmm. Here we go. Wonderful. It's like spontaneous Delcros. Hmm. So, Love it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, still a, it's still a highlight for me. I go back and listen to those old episodes a lot, and uh, most of the old episodes I, I, I find unlistenable because uh, 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 the, the, we've come a long way, Lauren and I, in our, in our banter and, and in the quality of the podcast, and if you go back and listen to those old episodes, I think you can hear how we've improved as podcasters but, but mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that piece that you recorded for us, Michael, is still, it holds up. It's still one of my favorite parts. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid to listen to it, but maybe I will go back. <laughs> <laughs> you should go back and check oh, it out. It should. actually is quite nice. <laughs> so, you Michael, um, so uh, you just finished a Dalcro's Lab uh, event yes. uh, on piano improvisation. How was it? How did you feel about it? Oh, I had a great time. Um, it, it, we had a great turnout, and it was a little unusual for me um, in that I couldn't hear anyone. <laughs> we, yeah. were all, we were all, um, uh, it was like a guided improv sort of yeah. meditation in a way, or, uh, or a cross between yeah. a guided meditation and an improv session. So I, I gave some prompts and, and, you know, I'm watching everybody gesturing and playing and it, it looked like everybody was having a great time. Um, so hopefully they were, uh, but it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, when we did the uh, virtual weekend in lieu of the the concert, uh, the conference last right, year, you, right. it, was it the similar thing to what you S presented there? Similar thing. Um, I, I kept 
I did a whole series of them after that, and and I. I, I guess I seem to be evolving too. It would be mm-hmm. interesting to go back and, and see what I did, but I, I think it's changing slightly. I'm not quite yeah. sure how, but. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, at the, at the upcoming national conference, I, I'm presenting and I'm going to do the same topic that I did at that virtual weekend as well. Mm. And, but, but I've been doing it a lot longer now, another year on that topic. And I feel like it's, it's very fresh what I have. And so Mm -hmm. so that's one of the things, I think that's interesting that we can, that we can present, uh, you know, where we're at currently on on a topic, even if it's something that maybe we've, we've covered before. Yeah. Well, the the work deepens hopefully over time and uh, we, you know, we keep, I think we keep coming back to the same things because there's there's so much possibility. They're so rich. That's heavy. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that also. Oh, I just I, I, as you were talking about the um, the struggle of of teaching that piano improvisation you know, virtually and not getting that feedback. I'm really looking forward to being back in person at the national conference and, and but to, to have the, the depth and the, the, uh, sort of the, the, the bench and the roster that we have of Dalcro's teachers uh-huh. and to be all in person, it's just been too long since we've had that experience yeah. and I am just craving it. Yeah. Well, we, our last one was right before the, the COVID iron curtain came down. Mm-hmm. We got it, it in was. under the wire. It was yeah. January, 2020. Yeah. The last big in-person event that happened. Can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I feel like a totally different person in many ways from that time. Yeah. Um, well, the world is a, such a different place. The world is a different place. Yeah, we think about things a, a little bit differently yeah. Yeah. in the world. Um, and so, and I guess also speaking of like virtual content, um, I've been really encouraged to see how the uh, the DSA uh, Publications Committee has been uh, putting out uh, these blog posts and really uh, getting behind some, some more sort of digital content. Obviously, Dalcro's Connections, which you were the uh, editor of uh, for a generation, uh, and uh, <laughs> is all, all, always has amazing content. But I've been really enjoying the sort of uh, um, accessibility of the of the blog post as a medium for us, and uh, um, it's, a, it's something I've been tinkering around with for a long time. And I think there's something about the immediacy of it. Like this is a thought I've got now, currently, and it comes out. Mm-hmm. And there's no filter to that. I, something about that is really, um, it feels Dalcrozian, feels <laughs> of the moment. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of it. Um, I think it, we, you know, there's so much information coming at us all the time from the internet. And it's hard for, it's hard for me to filter it out. Um, but I, I have... I have kept a blog myself for years, very sporadically. It's horribly, you know, organized, but I did it as a way to kind of communicate with myself, actually, mm. in an odd, I don't, I, an I, open it, journal. Yeah, kind of an open journal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I once kept track, I can't even believe I did this, in, I think it was maybe 2017. I decided I'm going to write about this one particular class every after every class. And, wow. you know, you have these thoughts and you start to do them and then something happens and you, you let it go. But I actually did it. 
and it's so interesting. It's like a time capsule. I think the blogs yeah. are sort of immediate. You know, they're not necessarily, you don't write them and think this is for posterity. They end up being that way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to um, go back and see what I was mm-hmm. like, thinking and, and what I saw in these kids and how we maybe struggled through an activity and then we ended up with this and it was kind of special or miraculous or whatever. Um, I think the, the blogs do have that potential. And so, yeah, we are trying to, um, now that we've got the magazine sort of more grounded and centered and redesigned, we're trying to put some more which energy is, into which that. Is, yeah. Uh, for yeah, our, for our listeners, that's Dalcro's Connections, which is a publication that the Delco Society puts out, and it's available to read even if you're not a member. For free. So for free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so make sure you check that out if you have not yet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, uh, talking to Stephen Neely. Um, I was kind of a guest lecturer in his Delco's pedagogy class, and uh, and he asked me a really interesting question. He said, uh, you know, what 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 do you do to take notes? Like, what's your note taking? like process for like if you get ideas in class or things happen like how do you like do you have a process for that and you know what my process is really has to do with the blog like i i i I work out my thoughts and reflections there so much that's kind of how i do it you know i i do scribble things occasionally but i don't keep like a notebook journal like uh, any notes that i scribble like that they get lost but -hmm. then they make their way onto my blog and that's sort of part of my process uh, like you mentioned for developing and kind of holding on to lessons and then going back and reading it and saying well okay yeah I see what I was thinking there I should try that again but you know it, it's it's a much it's a much deeper way to do it than just you know scrawling out a bunch of notes for me anyway yeah well I think also that just being responsible to communicate your ideas with a potential someone um, helps clarify um, for you or for me at least what I thought I was doing um, you know, we can kind of get through a class and, and um, wow, well, there were some interesting things that happened there, but now I've got another class to go to. So, you know, I'll think about that later. And then mm-hmm. sometimes later never comes. But if, yeah. you, if you kind of decide, I'm, you know, I'm going to communicate this to at least, you know, a potential reader or even we're back to future me. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know, I am kind of forced to, to crystallize and commit to um, at least what I thought I was doing. Yeah. No, I love that. And actually, I mean, your blog had an impact on my life because uh, you've told the story before, but I actually mm. reached out to you via your blog That's right. when I was a nobody, when I was not even on the radar. Oh, I was baby just Anthony. just getting started. Yeah. And I right. was struggling with, um, I, and people know this story, I've told it many times, but when I first had the students taking their shoes off in my public school class, it was like, uh, there were like pitchforks in the street. Like, um, you know, it was like, <laughs> it was like people were out to get me. They just did not understand why yes. I was doing that. And it was, and I was really looking for like some support on that. Yes. And, and I wrote, I was like, found your blog and was like, help, can somebody, and you gave me some really good advice. Um, you know, and I was looking for some, you know, some ammunition to like show people, this is not a thing I made up. You know, this is like, you know, and you did it. 
You yeah, did and it. And I did it. And we still now to this day, shoes off every day in my class. And now the administration boasts about it. They say, right. oh, this is our music room. It's all shoes off. They think it's so cool. And like, you know, whatever. It, you know. It, it's, it's amazing that you did that. I mean, for some reason, that is the biggest stumbling block for so many people. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure what there's something there. It's some kind of stigma people have about their feet. Um, yeah. It is. And, it's a real thing. It's amazing that you did it and that they're behind it and you've kept it going for so long in a public school setting. You, you know, that's. Yeah. Usually- well, mostly it's just stubbornness. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'll, yeah, I mean, people still, you know, it still definitely turns people's uh, turns people's heads when they when they hear that that's what we do. And, and uh, I've written about it a lot. And I and I try to su- offer support to other people who are trying to do it as well, because I know how it was when I started it. And uh, sure. and yeah, I mean, I think it's an important part of our work. And uh, it, obviously, uh, like I say, you know, doing doing this work with shoes on is better than not doing it at all. But, uh, but the shoes off is a, is, does I think significantly improve the results. Yes, it, it is actually possible uh, to do it with the, the shoes on if they're sneakers and if the context is right. I, I used it in a theater school for a little while where they're gonna be on stage anyway. They're, it's like a Broadway yeah. training school. They're gonna be on stage anyway. They, they are used to tap dancing. You know, they're used to mm-hmm. being on mm-hmm. stage in shoes. And so it, as long as they were quiet, like they had to be sneakers. I, I, I got behind that eventually. I mean, yeah. sure. they had yes. to win me over with it, but it, mm. it's much better what you've achieved is just much better. Uh, it is. It is. It, yeah. uh, the, the, the thing that I have the, the children echo, it, every time we take our shoes off, this is what I've been working on this year. Every time we take our shoes off, I, I ask them, why do we take our shoes off? <laughs> and the kids say, it helps us move the right way. <laughs> Good programming. Now, well, see, I, well, because what I figure is they, people ask them, why do you take your shoes off in music class? And they just respond that, with that. That It's just like automaticity. They're like, it helps us move the right way. They don't even really know what it means. I mean, they do know what it means because I explain it. But, like, but it, like, I think that's the vibe I'm trying to give out to people is like, this is why we do it. Because there's a certain kind of movement that's right. And yeah. there's a certain kind of movement that's not exactly right. And we're, the, taking the shoes off helps us mi- with more musical movement, more sensitive a light move. You, yeah, I don't have to tell you guys. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Preach into the choir. But, <laughs> but I think you know there are certain situations that it's absolutely not possible at mm-hmm. all. I've taught in a school where I came in. It was a thirty-minute class. There were twenty preschoolers. Yeah. Right. No. If I were to take off their shoes no. and put them back on, That's that would take up the whole thirty yeah, minutes. Class, yeah. Tie no. my shoe. I can't get my yeah. sock on straight, right? Mm-hmm. So that's 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 not um, fruitful. You have to think about what are your right. goals Absolutely. and how can you make them happen. And and so. it depends on you know you have to have the right floors. You have to have a clean yes. environment. You have, you know there's right. a lot of things that have to happen that not everybody is lucky enough to have. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. to that point, I actually, for how much I talk about the shoes off, I actually don't have the kindergartners take their shoes off in my school for that reason. Really? Yeah. 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 It's too much. Yeah. We're here all day. And, and, then, the, and yep. then the teachers are frustrated because the kids come back and they're all discombobulated. So I just, right. I just do, don't do it with kindergarten. And it's yeah. just fine. It's yeah. just fine. Makes sense to me. 
Great. Yeah. Um, well, I, well, the reason I, I was inspired to have you on now, Michael, as opposed to the million other times that I, we could have had you on because, uh, you know, you're uh, a friend of the show. Um, and it, a super fan. Yeah, and a super fan, evidently. Uh, but I was moved by your recent blog post about meter. Hmm. And I was hoping to chat with you a little bit um, on uh, just about um, I think it's I think it was a great post because I really enjoyed the the general sort of philosophical tone of it instead of really, you know, like giving specific. This is how I approach it. It was just really beautiful. Like, what is the meter? What's the difference between the meter and the time signature? And what 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 does it mean to to build your sense of the meter and, and all of these things that are like, I think, really important for folks to understand why we make the choices that we do when teaching these kind of topics. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you so much for that post. And I'll, we'll put a, a link to it in the show notes. If people haven't read it yet, maybe they should go check that out uh, uh, before they finish the interview or or uh, because we're going to kind of maybe talk a little bit more specifically about some of the things in there. But uh, but yeah, thanks so much for that post. It was really, really moving for me. Oh, wow. I'm glad you I'm glad you thought so. I had to, when you said you wanted to talk about it, I had to reread it <laughs> to, make, to make sure I still agreed with everything. And I, I, I basically do. So, <laughs> yeah. And that, that overall concept of it is musical explorations into meter, but basically asking that very big question, what is meter? Mm. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Um, so would you would you take us a little bit into your thought sure. process yeah. when, you, well, when you ask that question? Um, the, I mean, these are the things I ask myself before I, I think about what I want to do in a class, even if it's mm -hmm. something I've taught a lot and even if it's, you know, young children and, um, you know, we're, we're not going to go too in depth in some ways as we would maybe for, for college students. Um, I, I just think, you know, I want to think like, what is it, if it's meter we're talking about, why do we care? Yeah. <laughs> why am so I teaching this? What yeah. do musicians need to know about it? Um, what, how does it affect what they play? Um, what do they have to be able to do with it? And that kind of helps me uh, think about the activities that I'll plan because it has to interest me. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah. it's kind of selfish, yeah. you know, it, it's, it has, it, <laughs> it has to be kind of an exploration for me too. Um, I think the kids even feel that, you know, they can yeah. feel when I'm just sort of checking boxes off. Well, it's on, we have to teach meter. It's a music class. Yeah. So, you know, so that's kind of w where I start with that. And for me, it's a, it, it's kind of a living thing. Um, it, it's not four, four. It, it isn't, you know, those are just numbers. Yeah. Yep. Um, if it's a grouping of beats um, that repeat in a cycle, it's a living beating heart you know mm -hmm. it it's um something that maybe people feel but don't even know they're feeling it if they're not musicians um, but if mm. they are musicians a lot of times we might be playing and feeling in meter but we're not playing 
you, you, I think the, one of the quotes I used in the in the piece was there, there's nothing. It might have been from Jack Dalcross. Actually, now I can't remember who it's from. Maybe it's Piston. Um, I'll, I'll confirm once you say <laughs> it. <laughs> I have it open. There, it, yeah. it, it doesn't exist. Um, it, eh. it it um, it is a it underlies everything, but you don't play it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of got me thinking, well, you know, you know, we talk about bar lines and measuring and all these mm. sort of, you know, pointy hat kind of, you know, green visor Constructs. accounting. Yep. You can see yeah, somebody sure, on an yeah. adding machine, you know, in mm. the 40s trying to just tally everything up. But music doesn't work like that. Um, and, and so that's what I want to feel explore and that's what i want my kids or my adults to feel in the classroom um that thing that we both share but may not even be both exactly playing in the sense that i'm going to play four beats now and you're going to know where boom that gets the accent and then there's the weak beat i don't believe in that strong and weak beat stuff really actually Mm. either it it's Mm. it's um it's a cycle of Mm. energy for me yeah oh i love that yeah i love that yeah i I did a workshop uh, for some music teachers uh, not too long ago and um and i was really struck by how um firmly and almost like desperately they wanted to count the meters Uh Uh, and they to the point where like even when i told them not to count they were still like mouthing the count and like um and, and I just really, it was really illuminating to me because my students don't do that because I actually just avoid using numbers altogether. They just haven't been conditioned sure. to do that with me because I just don't really refer to the meters using numbers very often. It's just right. not how we do it. And, um, and it, to see that the, the teachers who had been conditioned for many years to think about the meter in this way, they just couldn't let go. Yeah. It were just like just desperately holding on to the numbers. And I thought, what a, what a mental uh, exhaustion of, of exercise to try to count yes. this way, you know? And, and, and I remember personally through the Dalcos method when I was, eh, I was probably in high school and um, I had the realization that I could let go of that, yeah. of that, of that uh, just clenched feeling. Right. Of trying to hold on desperately and just to allow the meter to just flow and you could just let go of that that sort of stress and uh yeah so I, that that really resonated with me as you were talking about that right yeah i i think a lot of it has to do with just desperate uh <laughs> desperate teachers trying to get kids to read music Yes. For whatever reason, at their piano lesson or in band. And of course, we have to do those things. Um, And sometimes I ask myself, well, why are we, you know, if if that's so hard, why are we spending so much time doing it? And I get that, you know, that's a really powerful thing in people's lives. And and we can't just, (laughs) you know, you don't just take that away. Um, But I that's what I, I, I think notation has really um, colored our our sense of maybe colored isn't the right word, but altered our sense of priorities so that we are desperate to hang on, as you said, to counts rather than the feeling yeah. of you know what it's like to have that cycle 
you can see me gesturing now and I don't have words for it, but you can see like me <laughs> stammer through trying to explain this. And mm -hmm. this is right. why I wrote the blog, it's for myself. Sure. Um, it, 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 it's something that we feel so deeply and clearly, but trying to, to describe it, it's like trying to describe a joke, you know, it kind of, it, it loses its... It doesn't land it well. Doesn't, yeah. It's not funny mm. anymore. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this, Michael, what's your take on kind of the subjective nature of characterizing meter? For example, saying simple meter feels this way mm. and compound meter feels this way. Yeah. <laughs> that that sort of because it's it's subjective to each of us, but at the same time, we also might have a goal in mind where we do want our students to be able to distinguish between one and another. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's I your just take on throw that? the simple word can in there. Can. Simple oh, meter can, can feel, feel this, this way. Because oh, uh, for me, simple nice. meter can also feel pretty curvy. I've heard some, yeah. some plenty of curvy music in simple meter. Oh, sure. And yeah. I've heard plenty of music that sounds pretty darn straight and angular in compound. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I just say can and recognize that, you know, we are, we are when we say those things in Adalco's class, we're often... Um, uh, limited is not the right word, but we're tied to the body and what the body can mm. do and what mm. and what the body can afford us in in and as an entry point into um, exploring these concepts. Mm. So I'm okay with all of that as long as I, I just say can. I mean, I'm really yeah. not crazy about the term simple and compound either, but <laughs> You know, we have the language that we have and and we yeah. can either try and change it or we can just, you know, live with it. Um, right. But I, that's, I, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. I think I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me. I'd like to hear you say more about the, what you meant by the subjective nature of meter. That's interesting to me. Well, well, that someone might use a different, as you're saying, a different word to describe the same music that somebody yeah. else is hearing. Yeah. And then for you to have to kind of come to a consensus together and say, how can this music sound one way to one person and one way to another? Mm. Or it might even be maybe one person is feeling it in their in their full body and the other one is simply hearing it letting it come in mm. i'm not really making sense but it's making some sense the, like the the, the <laughs> maybe through talking through it this exactly is like a, this is a this is an episode of meter theory <laughs> <laughs> how does it make you feel uh, that's just that's the title of the episode right there that's meter what it's therapy. Title. We did it. meter therapy meter therapy with michael joviala <laughs> we should have a, a fake advertisement. Have you ever felt like? Nah. <laughs> Betterhelp.com. Do you have days com. where? Right. <laughs> that's right. right. Do you have days where all time signatures feel the same? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. 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 Sometimes I'm not in the flow. I know it. Sometimes I feel like that my, well, my meter is not alive. Well, I, th I think the other <sighs> thing is, you know, there's certain kinds of music in which there, it's not only uh, subjective, but yeah. there are people having... It's un unmetered. Well, no, it's metered, yeah, yeah. but there are like four of them going on at the same time. Oh, uh, you know, in, sure. in, in the jazz sure. context, mm -hmm. it, totally. they, they 
um, work together. Nine eight three four. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. The, yeah. You, you, yeah. And we we thrive on that, and we it's it's democratic in that way. And, I mean, mm. Whit, Whit Marcellus has talked about this a lot. Um, cool. This idea that um, it it's um, a place where these different uh, ways of being not only coexist but thrive on that on the difference mm. and the way they fit together becomes something larger <laughs> it, the, the the phrase that um the, the, uh, the phrase is more uh stronger than itself um cool. is was something that george lewis um he's a great trombone player and a, and a great academic and writer um wrote about the aacm uh the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, the AACM. George Lewis <laughs> wrote a book about the AACM uh, called the, A Power Stronger Than Itself, which is a, just a great phrase. All of these different kinds of ways of playing exist at the same time, and mm. they become stronger than than they than any one of them only when they're together and the phrase george lewis called he called it, he wrote a book about this movement and he and it's you know it it's stronger than itself mm. <laughs> which i loved and i think that's that's Perfect. another way of looking at meter um in it it's the we come back to you know the uh, the classical uh world is very much tied to notation and it can become um, put into a grid if we're not careful and so our you know mm -hmm. what we're trying to do in the Belcro's room is is to yes. loosen it off yes. the page and pump the life back into it and of course Delcro's is not the only way to do that you know all sure. great players and great musicians do that and every musician wants to do that it's just one way um, but I, I think maybe what you're getting at, Lauren, is when we use the body to express um, certain characteristics that are often found in, say, um, uh, simple quadruple, mm -hmm. a.k.a. 4-4, four, four, then we compare that to um, compound quadruple, a.k.a. one way of calling that is 12-8, then right. there are some tendencies that we can point to, and there are some ways our bodies can express that, that um, that lend really lend themselves to certain descriptors, and like to say all that feels like we have to just, you know, tie ourselves in the knots. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. But I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. Is it? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Essentially. Well, and this this also reminds me of Anthony. Do you know? I, I bet Michael, you know the the quartet for the end of time. Yes, you're a clarinet player. I don't know. Anthony, that. have you heard this piece before? Oh, no. It's Anthony, um, you have to go listen Miss to it Anne. tonight. I'm writing it down. It's, well, if you'd like, um, I, I played it during college, oh. so there's a YouTube recording of me playing oh, it. Oh, that's what I'm going to listen to. I'm going to listen to. Yes, you should go listen to it. Link to it in the show notes. It was. We'll put it in the show notes. It was um, it was a piece that almost broke me yeah. <laughs> as the pianist. Yes. Um, first of all, being the pianist in a chamber ensemble is always more challenging because everybody else learns their parts easy, right? And then the pianist is like, I got all these notes to learn. But that piece 
the 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 title end of time is not like the end of time the world ending mm-hmm. it's like the end of time yeah. as it exists yeah the way it is and so in the way that he writes in this piece it's just all these little groupings dun 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 it's 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 not even within there's sometimes there's no bar lines mm-hmm. or meter entirely right. and uh yeah. it was a really interesting thing to try to get myself into that place of being comfortable with time existing differently yeah we're going off on tangents now but i i <laughs> am reading a novel that refers to this piece and actually describes the composition no of it and it's by this wonderful oh. author named Richard Powers and it's a book that ev- is an, if you're a novelist or novelist if you're a musician and you <laughs> like novels or if you're a novelist <laughs> um, you would love this book uh, it's called Orfeo and it's by Richard Powers and he describes the composition of this piece Messian wrote it in a in a prison camp oh. yes. in, in yeah. uh, France he was a prisoner of war of, of Germans um, yep. Anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> no, that's great. That's all right. I'm excited to read that book. Yeah, New Dalcrosian Book Club. We're going to be there releasing you go. that too. Yes. yes. That's a great yeah. idea. Try to keep yes. New Dalcrosian Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> we can read uh, uh, 4,000 Weeks. Oh, yeah. That'll 4, be on there. Yeah, I read that. I yes. It. Yep. And, you could uh, have Richard Powers on the show. Oh, we right can. <laughs> you should I have George Lewis on the show. See, look, why aren't you just working for us? Uh, George Lewis, I'm writing him down too. All right, all these, I'm taking notes. I'm, I'm learning more in this, uh, in this interview than, than uh, any of them combined. I wanted to talk to you for a second about something that's on my mind. And I just, I've never spoken to you about it, and I wonder uh, what your thoughts are. But, you know, it seems to me, and I'm sort of a hack jazz musician myself, but, like, I, I wonder, like, why the Dow Crow's work isn't mm-hmm. more welcome in jazz communities. It just hasn't seemed to be something that has been embraced. I mean, what, what, what do you think? That, it seems like a natural fit to me, but what am I missing? Well, I have some thoughts about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Um, and, and I think this discussion of meter is really helpful for that because I think it's really hard to play jazz if you don't feel it in your whole body. Right. I think when, when, you know, for classically trained musicians, it may be a time when they're adults that they feel like, wow, I have a body, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I I have a body. I can, you know, feel things by moving in the body, you know? Mm. That may be a revelation. I mean, that's why I'm here. It was for me, even though I, you know, was studying jazz, you know, I've studied jazz as long as anything, but it still was a revelation for me. I think um, if if you, you know, what's the first thing that jazz musicians, not the first thing, but what do jazz musicians <laughs> do when they want to count something off? One, two, um, two, three, you know? Yeah. You, it, the body is there. The body is present mm-hmm. in the music. I mean, the body is an artifact in the music. The, the music mm. was created out of people's lived bodily experiences. You can hear it um, in, in every note in those recordings from, mm-hmm. you know, from Louis Armstrong all the way down. Yeah. Um, and so I think that jazz hasn't needed it in the same way. Yeah, that's um, interesting. As 
people who are trained in the conservatory and have to spend so much time uh, learning to decode um, <laughs> notation. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, once you go through all that work and then learn the technique, then you might have, not everybody, obviously, but you might find it enjoyable to, um, it, you know, be free of the instrument for a while yeah. and to just, you know, live it in your body. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the, 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 sense, the, the sense of needing to come back to that for jazz players is less common, although obviously, yeah. you know, plenty of them would benefit from the, from it. Yeah. Um, if you could get them to take their shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wow, full circle. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I don't want to generalize, but there is in, in the jazz circles that I've run into anyway, there, there's definitely, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll edit this out, but it, there, there's like a jock culture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's like a bravado mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and our work is somewhat, somewhat, uh, vulnerable, um, yes. you know, in a way, um, and, and maybe there's a conflict of personality there, um, yeah. that, uh, that, uh, has, has not, uh, you know, made it, you know, super popular among, among those, but, but I see, I can see how this work could be so satisfying and also inform that, uh, that, that jazz musician to make their improvisation and their music so much more visceral and i feel like there's value to that and i would encourage jazz musicians to to study the method um and, and work it and find ways to to marry the two beautiful art forms and in, into to find value in both things yeah and and i on the same on the other side i would challenge um Dalcro's, uh people teachers practitioners, whatever we're calling ourselves, students. whatever you feel you sure. are, students. Yeah. However you identify. Um, to, however you identify. <laughs> to, But I think, you know what? I think I am talking to the teachers right now. Uh, yeah. I yeah. think we need to um, be more curious about how, say, jazz works or how other musics work. Um, yep. And I don't know what that looks like, but it, you know, it may mean um, bringing people in who aren't Dal Dalcros trained um, and really finding a way to work with them, um, in inviting people from other traditions that, you know, don't normally get covered in a Dalcros class and I don't mean just bringing in the music into our classes a lot of us do that yeah, yeah. but I mean mm -hmm. like really teaching it like if you were going to really teach jazz in a Dalcros class like what would you have to know yeah yeah um, and for many of us who aren't playing jazz like that's not something that we can yeah, easily sure. do so I, I totally get it but maybe it, we need to go find people who are in these other, you know, who are experts and bring them in and say, you know, what, how do you learn to play this yeah. music? What can we learn from you? Um, you know, open our doors to that. I think it's, it's a two-way street. Yeah. 
Well, I know there's Agreed. there's you know practitioners who are who are really you know proficient jazz musicians, and you and For Bill sure. Bauer and. Um, Stephen Moore is a great Stephen jazz Moore. musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. They, they, these guys are 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 really uh, you know remarkable jazz musicians, and and so yeah, I'm hopeful that 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 there will be a a uh, meeting of the minds there. That and and uh, I like the idea of reaching out into other communities. I'm a big advocate of that, and, and I wonder what that would look like. It's very exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, also to bring it around full circle. At the conference, <laughs> I, I will be. I am trying to find ways to do this. Um, I will be teaching my session. It will be jazz based, and and I'm going to try and present a concept of. We're talking about meter. Um, I'm going to try and present this concept of meter as it um, is lived in inside of jazz tradition. Well, I'll be at your session so. for that one. You'll see me there. Awesome. Unless unless yours is at the same time. In which case, then I, I won't be there. The that is possible. <laughs> in which case, I will I be cursing remember. the scheduling gods once again. Sorry, uh, that's me. I'm the scheduling well, god. Last, well, last conference, <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't no. want to gripe, but last conference they put mine right opposite Jeremy Diddis doing his demo lesson, and I was like, "Why well, are you going to compete with that?" You know, jeez, I, I got a decent turnout, but yikes. I, I wanted to go to Jeremy's session. I would have skipped my session to go to Jeremy's session. And, then, and they, uh, you know, uh, but th this, you know, so hopefully uh, that, that's, uh, you know, and that's going to happen. But That's going to happen. That's what happens. Oh, that's right. Well, we're, we're certainly looking forward to seeing you at the conference and to see you in action teaching. Well, likewise and, for and both all of, of you. Yeah. yeah, thank You're you. You're the best, Michael. Thank you. Thanks. This um, is just such a pleasure to talk to you both and to see what you've created here. And I hope you keep aw. going. We will certainly try. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. The New Dalcrosian is a production of Hellero Creation. Email us at thenewdalcrosian at gmail.com. Rate and review on your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook. 